This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a new week. It's the Monday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program committed to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff that's going on in your life, anything and everything. All we need you to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in on our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving around on this wet Monday, the safest way to do it is to use the free KSLR mobile app, Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, before we get to questions, a quick scheduling reminder. Tonight we will be having our men's and women's Bible studies here at the church at 7 o'clock. Pastor Ken will be teaching the men and uh, his wife May will be teaching the ladies tonight at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch on live stream at calvarysa.com if you can't get here, but Monday night is a good night. The question and answer session that they have at the end in the prayer time is always really, really special. So um, we'd love to have you. Well, with that being said, let's get right to some questions while we await your phone calls this week. Andy says, if someone turns from Jesus and follows another form of spirituality, what happens to them? Andy, I'm assuming you mean what happens to them in eternity. Um, In in the world that we live in, um, they just go from um, following the truth to following a lie. And then the eternal consequence of that, of course, is that they won't go to heaven. It's just that simple. I I know it sounds harsh sometimes to people, um, but uh, religion doesn't get you anywhere. Spirituality, there's two spirits. There's the spirit of God that points to Jesus, and then there's the spirit of the devil, and that spirit leads to uh, eternal damnation. And uh, we don't like thinking about it, but that's exactly what happens. So, Andy, if you know this person, um, and um, um, pray for them, but 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 let them know that the consequences of the choice they've made are going to last forever and ever and ever. And if they knew who uh, Jesus was, they knew about him, obviously, if they appeared to follow him for a time. If they knew about him, turning away from him, that means they're turning uh, to hopelessness, they're turning to no hope. Religion... 
um, has absolutely no value. None whatsoever. The only value that any sort of religious exercise happens when it comes from the heart, and only Jesus can provide that opportunity. So pray for them, speak to them, beg them, but um, the result for them is not going to be good in eternity. You know, I always wonder about people who, uh, and I think this is a question that we get sometimes on the program, well, they were once a Christian, but now they're not. Did they lose their 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 salvation? Uh, and the, the situation like this is, if somebody meets Jesus and turns to any other way, then they really never knew Jesus. Again, they knew about him, but the intellectual ascent is f- not nearly enough the question in heaven seems to be um, whether or not Jesus knew you. He said, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and didn't I do that for you? And Jesus will say, depart from me, you doer of iniquity, for I never knew you. So, Andy, if they're born again, um, Jesus is the only way. If they're not born again, they never belong to him, and they're by following some other form of spirituality, they're in the same condition they were before they ever heard anything about Jesus. Those are hard ones. Thanks for the question, Andy. Here's a question from Gerald. Pastor Ron, will the third temple be built before or after the rapture? Personally, I'm leaning toward before. Gerald, I'm leaning toward after. Now, there are people who believe that it can be built before uh, the rapture, but here's something to consider. The Bible says that the Antichrist won't be revealed until the church is taken away. The man of lawlessness, the church will be gone, then he'll be revealed. And since he's the one who's going to supervise the building of the third temple, he's the one who's going to create this peace treaty between Arabs and Jews, he'll be hailed as the greatest man of peace ever. Um, That has to happen after we're gone. I had a question, I think, last week about Ezekiel 37 through 39. Was that going to happen before or after the the rapture? It's a little less clear, but uh, I think this one, Gerald, is pretty clear. That third temple will be built. It will be built miraculously quickly. And um, for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, where people are saying peace and safety, Jesus said, be careful when that happens. So the Antichrist, or the man that we call the Antichrist, he's not going to call himself that, of course, um, he will be revealed, but uh, we will have to be gone before that happens. And then God's going to permit a lie, a, a spirit of deceit that is, is going to convince people to uh, follow this man, the Antichrist, um, to the very end, and their end is not going to be a very good one. I like questions about the rapture and the millennium. Thank you, Gerald. Maybe Jesus can come quickly. Here is a caller, our first one from Bernie, Texas, Ryan on line one. Ryan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Um, recently started listening to your program. I'm learning a lot. i got a couple of questions for you. Okay. Um, I caught a program a while back. I caught the tail end of it. You were talking about, I guess, power and authority, um, what we have. I was going to listen to it again. I forgot to mark it. Now I forgot what it is. I'm going to ask you a question again. I hate to ask it, but I just got done with the book of Matthew, and in there it talks about, you know, what's bound in heaven, or is bound on earth is bound in heaven, what is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. 
And lately I've been hearing a lot of people talking about power and authority and casting demons and healing and stuff like that. What's your take on that as far as the actual power with, with the name of Jesus and, and in the blood and stuff? Thanks, Ryan. The, the, the passage that you're speaking about is, is uh, really is, has anything to do with authority at all. What he's saying there, and I'm, I'll answer the other question too, Ryan, but, but what he's saying there is what you permit in heaven, um, um, or what you permit on earth, rather, is going to be permitted in heaven. In other words, God's not going to interfere in our exercise of our free will. And that's mentioned in a disciplined passage. So what he's saying to the church there is, is look, if you allow this stuff to go on, uh, I'm going to allow it to go on too. I'm just not going to be there. So that doesn't have anything to do with, with what most of the charismatic um, false teachers, and, and I'm a charismatic, so uh, I'm not condemning being being a believer in the gifts but but when they don't really teach the bible they don't have a solid foundation ryan and and uh, when you hear these guys yelling i bind you in the name of jesus or um, um i take authority over you in the name of jesus that's just silliness ryan we have no power over the devil jesus of course has all power but we can't just invoke the name. I've heard a lot of people invoking the name or pleading the blood, those kind of things. And that's all nonsense because we don't have to plead the blood. We've already had the blood applied to us if we're a born-again believer. Now, we have no power, no connection to Jesus if we're not pursuing righteousness and holiness. And I think sometimes, Ryan, what happens is we get people who think that they can just use the name of Jesus like some ru- lucky rabbit's foot and the devil is going to cower. It's not that at all. But when we're in right relationship with Jesus Christ, then we have all the power we need to resist the lies or the attacks of the enemy. But the idea of binding and loosing is not a power that we have in the sense of the way that it's taught. It's simply our power is in the Lord. You know, I have a question that, that I'll get to maybe tomorrow uh, that's been sent in. And, and it was a question about why Jesus' disciples couldn't cast out the demons uh, in Luke chapter 9, I think it was. And uh, the reason that they couldn't remember, Jesus had given them authority over the demons on an earlier trip. But while Jesus, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they came down, we've got Jewish exorcists and Jesus' disciples arguing about why they couldn't cast the demon out. Well, they couldn't cast the demon out because they were trying to use power or authority that was given to them for a different occasion. And in this particular case... Um, what they needed was fresh power. Jesus said, you know, you're, you're dealing with demons of this type, and, and these come out only by prayer and fasting. In other words, this is a different level of demonic power that you're dealing with. But Ryan, we have no authority. If, if we bind Satan, if we forbid Satan, we take authority over Satan, he just laughs. And unless we're in close fellowship, walking in relationship with Jesus Christ, those demons are going to be too powerful for us. Does that help you? Oh, I think we lost Ryan. He probably hung up and listened on the phone. Ryan, I hope that that makes it clear to you. Uh, we have be really discerning about the things that we hear on uh, on Christian radio or Christian television. Uh, most of it is just the stuff that we get in the habit of repeating. Um, the name of Jesus has no authority or power. The person of Jesus has all authority. And that difference is 
extreme. Good question, Ryan. Thank you for calling. I appreciate your new listener to the program. Let's go to a question from Anonymous. Um, my parents are upset at my conversion. Are Catholics going to go to heaven? Um, Anonymous, uh, I'm assuming your parents are the Catholics and you're worried about their eternal state. Um, some Catholics are. Uh, unfortunately, not very many. Jesus said you must be born again. He said that to a religious person in John chapter 3. Um, so uh, a Catholic who says, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the, the Son of God, um, they, you know, they, they've got a heads up. They believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the same as, as, as Christians do. But there's a process that needs to occur. Jesus said it's, it's called being born again. And that process is surrendering our heart to Jesus. You know, a Catholic will go and make confession to a priest. A Catholic will pray the rosary. But, but that's just going through religious motions. So um, I understand your parents are upset at your conversion. Um, you know, I've had people look at me and say, I was born Catholic, I'm going to die Catholic. Most of those people, by the way, got saved. Um, but, um, you know, tell your parents um, that, that you were born again. Jesus said to a religious man, Nicodemus, in John 3, that, that you must be born again to inherit the kingdom of God. And then ask them very nicely, without any animus, don't do it in confrontational style. Just say, Mom and Dad, I need to know if you're born again. And their answer to the question will tell you, and at least then you'll know how to pray for them. And here's what will happen. I promise the Holy Spirit will use your witness to them to show them that you have something they don't if, in fact, they're not born again. Very, very important. One of the keys that we found, and, you know, Anonymous in in, uh, my church a couple of times over the years, I've asked uh, people, show of hands, how many in our church have a Catholic background. And, And it's over 90% in our church. And we've seen this happen over 25 years, repeatedly. One Catholic gets saved, and then the rest of the family follows because they watch the change in the one that got saved. You become a follower of Jesus. You love him with all of your heart, and he'll change you and use your light to convince them that your Jesus is real and does things and has an impact that their Jesus doesn't have. And you just watch. They'll fall. They'll fall. God bless you for converting to Christ, and I pray your parents are among those who are born again. I I actually know a few Catholics who are born again, um, just not very many, and part of it is because the Catholic Church doesn't teach that you need to be born again. They teach that salvation really is a result of of, uh, belonging to the Church, and we, of course, know that's not true. Good question or good statement, and God bless you for coming into the family of God. Let's go to Seguin and talk with our friend Ruben. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing really well today. I'm cold today. Oh, you're cold. It, it, it feels so good outside. Thank oh, you no. I want, I want my summer back. <laughs> yeah. Thank God for the rain, though. But quick update. I just wanted to give you a quick update. Dad, he got out of the hospital last week because he fell twice. Um, Long story, but long story short, he's he's doing okay. 
He's back at the nursing home in quarantine for 14 days. I fell something horrible the other day, and uh, I'm going to have to get uh, surgery on my leg. Oh, my. Yeah, so, you know, which leads into um, what my pastors came over the other day and, and, and started asking me, Brother Ruben, what are you doing wrong? And I looked at them, I'm like, what do you you mean? And they were like, Ruben, you just have gone through so much that over the past seven years, like nobody has that we know, know, has gone through so much. And I I got offended by that. And then, you know, they 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 started throwing scriptures at me. And one of them... It, did, it stuck out at me, and I know that it shouldn't, but the, the, one of them says that, you know, if you believe, you shall be healed. He's, and I think it was, talk, it was talking about the man at the at the pool of Bethesda, of Bethesda. Jesus told him, if you believe, you'll be healed. And I could be wrong, but I think that's what she was referring to. She goes, you believe? I said, I believe. She goes, then why aren't you healed? And I couldn't answer her. And... and and I just, you know, I just told her, I said, you know what, Pastor? You know, I got offended, and then I didn't say nothing to them. I respected them. I appreciated them because they came by, you know, they, they bought me some groceries and stuff, and I appreciate all that. But to turn around and tell me, what are you doing wrong? Why are things getting worse for you? And don't you have faith? Now, mm. I mean... I have faith, Pastor. I have faith. I have more faith than I've ever had. And and I'm not going to let it, you know, bother me and, and, you know, cry and say, oh, why is she telling me this? Why? 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 And all this. But it just bothered me. And And I guess the question that I have is this. I get, and I even shouldn't, I shouldn't even ask it. Is why do some okay. people get healed and why don't? Why why do some people get healed and why do some, do some don't? Ruben, let me let me say a couple of things before I before I answer that question directly. Uh, I am so proud of you. Um, a year ago, this question would have sent you into a spiritual tailspin that you you would have had a hard time coming out of, and you have grown so much that you were able to discern false doctrine, you were able to deal with um, what I would call Job's friends when they come over and ask you what's wrong with you. That's, that's exactly what Job's so-called friends did. Uh, and, and instead of, of being crushed by those kinds of statements, what happens now is you can recognize false doctrine. And, and, and this woman, and by the way, as a pastor, she shouldn't be a woman shouldn't be a pastor. It's that simple. And, and it demonstrates again that this church that you've been a part of is simply not healthy. It's it's not spiritually balanced. Uh, it's filled with false teaching. It is a uh, a health and prosperity church. If you just name it and claim it or just believe enough, God's going to heal you. And the truth is, that's not what the Bible says, nor what the Bible teaches at all. And uh, I would have looked at him and said, thank you. I know you love me. Thanks for your concern. But... You don't know what the Bible says. And they can throw scriptures out, but, but, but even the devil misuses scripture. And uh, you are in a place now that you've never been before, 
And it is wonderful to see it. Now, let me answer the question. Why do some people get healed and others don't? Uh, the answer is, it's in the sovereign will of God. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I've seen people get healed. But honestly, Reuben, if we're if we're really honest, very few people get physically healed the way that the people that are talking to you are speaking about. Very few people. I mean, you read the newspapers. People die all the time. Uh, uh, pastors die. Um, um, people of great faith die. The Apostle Paul didn't get healed. He asked Jesus three times. And three times the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, so um, why didn't he heal Paul? Why did um, John, the, the apostle, live to be um, the only uh, disciple who lived a natural life uh, who didn't die uh, for their faith? Now, he endured a lot of suffering. But, but why did John die and his brother James was the first of the apostles martyred for their faith? Why did Jesus release Peter from prison, but didn't release John from prison or Paul from prison? The answer is it's in the sovereign will of God. And what you need to to really focus on is, Lord, thy will, not my will be done. And, you know, Reuben, I want you to be careful. You know, you, you weren't sick. You fell and you got hurt. And, and those kinds of things happen. But uh, you're, you're healthier today than in the seven years that, that you've been calling this program. I think it's been seven years that you've been calling this program. And, and I just couldn't be prouder. It's, it's, it's wonderful to watch. But um, very few people get healed just because they believe it enough. Um, that flies in the face of what the Bible teaches. And the truth is, suffering and illness um, is part and parcel of living in a fallen world. And those pastors who teach that if you just believe it enough, the truth is, they all get old and they die too. So what happens to their faith? So you're not doing anything wrong. You know you're not doing anything wrong. And you can sit back while people are foolishly and falsely accusing you And you can just react with the peace of God because you now know who he is. So, Reuben, God bless you, and and we miss you. It's great hearing from you. And I got a lot of uh, responses uh, from listeners on this program when you were doing your interview on uh, on KSLR. And uh, um, people are praying for you. They care about you. Thank you very much for letting me know. Oh, one other thing, Reuben, I I trust you're still listening. you really need to get involved in a healthy church. There's no excuse ever, doesn't matter how long you've been there, there's no excuse for staying in a church that continues to to falsely represent God and teach a gospel that really isn't the gospel at all. God bless you, man. Thank you for calling today. Got three minutes left in the program, at least in this half of the program. Here is a question from Jake. He says, Does the Bible really say God won't give us more than we can handle? Jake, it really doesn't say that. First Corinthians ten thirteen says that God won't let you be tested or tempted beyond what you can handle. Um, and we can infer from that that God has us in his hands and whatever we are encounter that we're able to deal with. 
Now, the Bible doesn't say that specifically, except as it relates to tests or temptations. So if you're tempted, you can handle it. You can say no. Um, but there are other things that come along this world that make us feel, honestly, if we're, if, if we'll just be very frank, uh, the, 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 there's a lot of things that feel like they're more than we can handle. And that's why we've got to be really good, Jake, at laying those things down at the feet of the cross, saying, Jesus, I can't carry this. You carry it for me. And then you're going to find the reality that whatever is in your life, you can handle because you're letting Jesus handle it for you. I think too often, Jake, we we try to handle things on our own. We try to convince ourselves that I can handle this. Uh, I've gotten to the point in my, my relationship with the Lord where I truly realize I can't handle anything on my own. I will mess up even good things apart from being in fellowship with the Lord. So uh, I don't want to test him or tempt him. I just want to stay close to him. And when I'm overwhelmed and I get overwhelmed by stuff, uh, I can't sleep. I have nightmares about these things. And, and when I'm overwhelmed, I just have to remember that, Jesus, you're the one who can carry this for me. You're the one that can keep this from becoming too great a burden for me. And in that way, I know then that I'm going to be okay. So while I wish the Bible said God won't give us anything that we can't handle, the reality is it's tests and temptations, and yet whatever we give to Jesus, he'll take care of for us. Thank you, Jake, for the question. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 30 minutes remaining for your calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Nancy. Why doesn't God intervene in our lives in more obvious ways? Um, Nancy, when you want to get a question like this, it's like, okay, God, why don't you just appear to me, or why don't you do something miraculous, or show me a sign? Um, Jesus, you remember, said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. When you're in relationship with, with the Lord, what he wants you to do is to learn to trust him. You know, we want to see and then we'll believe, but God says that isn't the way faith works. Faith says believe and then you'll see. Now, Nancy, God intervenes in my life all the time. All the time. But but not in miracles or not in, uh, you know, in response to my where are you God kind of cries. Uh, God is always there. And we need to get... Uh, to the place where we, we realize that his presence is there. The, the psalmist says, where can I go and hide from your spirit? If I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. Where can I go? He's everywhere, and he wants you to know that about him. 
And then the comfort, the peace, Nancy, comes from knowing that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, he's right there with you and he'll protect you. Nancy, I often say to our church here at Calvary Chapel, I often say that if your heart is right with God, you don't have to be right. In other words, there's times when I don't know what to do. There's a circumstance that I really need some direction on. And the Lord wants me to learn to trust what I know about him, to trust his character, his nature, to get my direction from the word of God. But I mean, if I go to street corner and say, I don't know whether to go right or left, Jesus, just show up and tell me. He's not going to do that. But if I'm supposed to go right and I go left instead, but I'm with Jesus, he's going to protect me. And that's him intervening. And when we see those opportunities, when, when we, we experience those times when he's protected us, well, then we learn to trust him more, Nancy. And so that's why he just doesn't appear and do miraculous things. You know, when the disciples, you know, the one miracle that is reported on in all four Gospels, and the idea there is that's how important it is, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, the next time they had a similar problem with a smaller crowd, the Bible says they didn't remember the earlier miracle. And Jesus rebuked them, Oh, ye of little faith. When Jesus said to them to get in the boat, let's go to the other side, and then the storm came up. They were terrified. Well, they were being taught by Jesus that he was always there and he always was watching them. So uh, again, Nancy, I think God intervenes in pretty obvious ways in my life. If you will just begin to practice his presence, you're going to find, I think, that he will intervene in your life as well. And and again, if you're looking for miracles or signs or um, throwing out fleeces like Gideon did. And by the way, Gideon threw out those fleeces because his faith was weak, not because his faith was strong. Learn to trust God. Learn what your Bible says. Walk in the well of God. And you're going to see God's hand in everything that you do. So I hope that helps, Nancy. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Adam. Adam says, Adam says, how can someone who doesn't grow up in a Christian home know about Jesus or people from other religions? Well, Adam, we all know about God. Uh, let me start with that, that premise. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm, 1, Psalm 19 the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. There is no nation or language where they're not understood. So we can go outside and we know God is there. Creation tells us about God. Creation tells us sun comes up in the east every morning. Sun sets in the west every evening. It's always hot in summer. It's always cold in winter. We see these things and it begs, this creation does, it begs a designer. And when you start looking for the designer with your whole heart, I want to see the one who puts that sun in the eastern sky in the morning. Jesus will reveal himself to you. Romans 1 says not only does creation tell us who Jesus is, but our conscience 
tells us who he is. The fact that we know some things are right and wrong, we're doing something, and the next time we do it, suddenly there's something that's bothering us. The conscience is saying, no, don't do that. And you wonder, well, I've done this before, my conscience didn't bother me. Well, that's Jesus giving us sort of a, a, a an internal governor to keep us from 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 sinning greatly. So our conscience tells us about the Lord. And then what we've got to trust is that anybody who seeks God, if you diligently seek him, you will find him, he says. He's not far from any of us. So let's assume the question about people from other religions. If, if a Muslim, for example, believes in, in Allah and Muhammad, um, they need to be honest enough to find out if Muhammad really is God. And it can't be just, well, this is our religious tradition. There's got to be evidence. And that same thing applies to all faiths. There's got to be evidence. We know that Christianity is true because what Jesus said about being the only way to heaven was validated by the empty tomb. A murdered man was placed in a tomb and the tomb was empty and he's alive. He was seen by lots and lots of people in the the 40 days before he ascended into heaven. He was seen by more than 500 as he ascended into heaven. So Adam, we all know all we've got to do is find out who really is God. When Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, he knew that Moses' God really was God. And yet he continued to harden his heart. So the seeker, the true seeker of God, will find Jesus Christ. The one who's just sort of believing in a God out there somewhere. That's not really a true seeker. Uh, over and over in the Old Testament, um, you see people worshiping these these idols that they made, Dagon and Baal and um, the Asherah poles and all of the others. Um, you know, they, they knew those gods, little g, weren't really God, big G. They made them with their own hands. I think about the Ethiopian eunuch. God sent Philip. He was seeking the real God of Israel. And he sent Philip down to tell him. Miraculously. He was seeking God. He found him. So that's how they can know about Jesus. All they have to do is want to know if their God is really God. And if they want to know, God will let them know who he really is. And of course, Adam, we know his name is Jesus Christ. So don't don't wrestle with questions like that. God is the rewarder of those who diligently or earnestly seek him. We've got to believe that with all of our hearts. It's one of the sources of comfort that we can have as we pray for people that we care about who are lost, who aren't born again. Good question. Here is a question from Jonathan. He says, when we teach the Bible, should we teach only our own interpretation of doctrine or provide other views as well? Um, Jonathan, I don't spend very much time at all teaching something that I know not to be true. The fact that somebody somewhere disagrees with me uh, is of little consequence. After studying uh, and, and, and rightly dividing the word, what I want my people to know is the truth of Scripture. Now, there are some 
um, uh, exceptions to that. And again, there, there are small exceptions. For instance, uh, when I teach on the rapture of the church, I let our church know that there are people that believe that, that the rapture is going to happen after the Great Tribulation. There are others who believe it's going to happen in the middle of the Tribulation. And others who believe that it's going to happen before the great wrath of God begins in the Tribulation. Um, but then I very quickly tell them that those um, um, theories are wrong because they contradict the, the known character of God. So I, I let them know if they want to do some study on their own, they can do it. But, but you know, when you're teaching the Bible, generally speaking, Jonathan, uh, we got 40 minutes on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or in our church on a Friday night. Uh, and, and what you want to do is you want to preoccupy people with this is what the Word says, this is what it means, and this is how you can use it. So I, I'm, I'm not going to spend 15 minutes representing um, doctrines that I believe are clearly wrong. It just doesn't seem to be productive to me. In fact, it's, it's counterproductive. What I want to do is tell them, this is what it says, this is what it means, this is how we know, and this is what it means for us as it changes our daily lives. Uh, there are a lot of people, Jonathan, who have a completely different um, practice than that. They want to just sort of vomit out all of the information and let people choose. Um, I don't believe that's the role of a Bible teacher. We're to teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us Jesus. Uh, Jonathan, on uh, Sunday this coming week, I'm going to be teaching uh, out of 1 Timothy chapter 4. We just finished the third chapter, and uh, we're going to start closing the book. I think I got two uh, more studies before we're done, maybe three, but probably only two more studies. And it begins with, with um, Timothy, preach the word. I give you this charge, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season, but preach the word. And I just don't see, Jonathan, how preaching or teaching that which I don't believe in has any value at all. So I, I'm not here to confuse our people. I'm here to strengthen their walk with the Lord and give them good, solid doctrine. Good question. 340-9585, an anonymous question. Is this when I, my first instinct is usually to think the worst of people. How can I change that about me? Uh, anonymous, um, when I read that question, listeners all over South Texas said, oh, me too. In fact, that's my first instinct. And, and, and you just have to train your mind. Take those thoughts captive. Um, I'm naturally, uh, like many of you, I'm naturally cynical. Um, I'm, I'm uh, instinctively combative. Somebody says something I think is coming from the wrong motive. Um, you know, I'm ready to fight, and I don't mean that in a literal sense. But, but um, um, my first thought is, how could anybody believe that? Uh, and what I want to do is I want to I want to remember God loves them. I want to treat them with respect. And the only way we can do that is to remember that Jesus loves them, and we got to love them with His love that all has, has already been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans five five says that we have the love of God living in us, and all we have to do then is by faith pull that love of God out and put it into practice. And so here's what I do, Anonymous, when I have a, a, a bad thought about somebody or 
or somebody says something that's really dumb instead of saying, well, I can't believe he said that. I just, Lord, you love him or you love her. Um, my job is to pray for them and give them the opportunity to teach them. And uh, you have to do that over and over and over. One of the things that I have found works miraculously is praying for people. When I pray for people, God changes my heart toward them. And I believe anonymously that he will do that for you. So let the Holy Spirit rule and reign. Daryl says, my question is about baptism. Should we baptize only in Jesus' name? Daryl, uh, Jesus said, um, we had a baptism Saturday, by the way. It was a really great time. It was a, a small one. You know, our, our big once-a-year baptism was um, um, canceled because of the, the COVID epidemic. And um, so we had a, a, a private baptism and a People, some people in the church, they offered they opened their home, and it was really a neat time. And uh, we were uh, uh, praying for people, worshiping. It was just really, really great time. Uh, one of our bap- kids that got baptized, we had all adults and one kid, but it was six-year-old Nathan who I've told stories about on this program before. And uh, when I asked him Saturday, I give everybody a chance to share if they wanted to share. Nobody has to, but if they wanted to share. You know, what's God doing in your heart that, that brings you to this place? You're now making a public profession of faith. I said, did anybody want to share? And Nathan ran to the front and turned around and addressed adults. And he said, well, I'm going to be baptized because Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, Daryl, I use Nathan's example a six-year-old knew that we're to be baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus said to do. Now, you're asking the question because you've been confronted by some Jesus-only groups, uh, and that's heresy. That's not, not solid doctrinally, and you need to be really careful. Those who say, no, it only counts if you baptize in Jesus' name, they don't know him. They're not born again. They believe that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. That's not true. So just sort of make your way away from those people and do what Jesus said. He said to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Daryl, I think that's pretty solid ground to be on when we talk about being baptized. There's a lot of conflict created by these Jesus-only people. Uh, and they are so convinced, and they are so arrogant and so loud. And uh, when I've been in conversation with them and said, well, why did Jesus say, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? The only thing that they've ever been able to offer was, well, Jesus is the Father, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And then you know you're dealing with a Jesus-only group, and it's it's a heretical group, Daryl, so... Um, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Randy asks, Pastor Ron, is there ever a situation when breaking a promise to God would be okay? Um, Randy, I'm not sure exactly what you're getting at. Uh, It's never good to break a promise to God. Remember when Jephthah 
said, uh, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes in my door if you give me victory. And it turned out to be his daughter. And his daughter said, Dad, you're, you're, you're promised to God. You've got to keep it. She went away for a while to be with her friends, and then she came back. He didn't kill her, but, but the idea was her life then belonged to God. She, she forsook the life of a, a normal young woman uh, being married and having children. It would have been okay for Jeff Todd to break that vow. All he would have had to say, Randy, is, is um, Lord, I made a foolish vow, and I'm so sorry I made it. I'll try to do better, but will you release me from this? And of course God would have released him from it. And somebody asked me a few years ago, Randy, they'd made a, a, a vow to give money to TBN, Broadcasting Network. And um, when they realized that there was primarily false teachers on TBN, um, he came to me and he said, well, what should I do about this? I'm I'm giving them so much money per month, and now I realize I'm supporting a a false gospel. And I said, Randy, send them a note, a letter, call them, email them, whatever you have to do, and let them know that you made a vow to support them and you're withdrawing that vow because the doctrine that's being offered on that station is false doctrine. And he did that and he never heard from them and there was no problem. There are some cases where it's okay to break a vow, but that's certainly not something that we want to be involved in. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And in fact, he said, don't make vows at all. So, yeah, if you made a foolish vow, repent, he'll give you relief, and then we move forward. Let's go to Brian calling on line one from San Antonio. Brian, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, thank you for taking my call, Pastor Arn. Please uh-huh. excuse my me. Pleasure. My scientists are acting up like crazy. <laughs> so, anyway, I've been making uh, some uh, uh, memory verses and laminating them and so forth, and i got a question about James 4. 7 through 9, and it's the latter part that I don't understand that says, starting in uh, number 9, I mean, uh, uh, verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. But, you know, the first part of it says, submit yourselves unto God. Is this devil, he will flee for you. Come, come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then it talks about the grieve, mourning, and wail. I don't get that. Jesus, you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's what the idea here is, Brian. In verse 6, you go way up there. Uh, he says, uh, this is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what follows from verse 7 on is a recipe for those who are proud. And he says, if you're proud, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, he will flee. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then verse 9 is what repentance really is. Grieve, mourn, and wail. The result will be you'll change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You thought you had it all together. You thought you were okay. But but what God is doing is demonstrating that, that you've got to deal with the pride that you have in your life. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, if there wasn't a verse 10 there, 
Brian, this would be really, really bleak. Okay, I'm going to repent, God, but I'm going to grieve and mourn and wail. And once I was happy and I'm not going to be happy anymore. But, but then he says, no, the final process of the repenting process, or the final step, rather, of the repenting process is humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So that's what he's saying there. He's just saying, if you're a proud man, um, remember the, the, the basic truth, God opposes the proud. He'll give grace to the humble. And the way to be one who is humble, receiving the grace of God, is the formula given to us in verses 7 through 9. Ten, then, is the result. So that's that's what he's saying there. He's not telling us to, to wail and mourn and throw ashes and on our heads and, and wear sackcloth. Excuse me. Uh, what he's saying is, look, this is how you deal with pride. And James, he had a reputation in the early church as being the least proudful person. I love James' letter because if if I was James, Brian, perhaps if you were James, we'd read this this uh, or we'd write this letter and say, "I, James, um, by the way, did you know I was the brother of Jesus, our Lord?" We didn't say a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a man who couldn't be proud because he would remember that he thought Jesus was crazy. He opposed Jesus. And post-resurrection, when Jesus appeared to him, it changed everything. And that once proud man submitted himself to God, believed in Jesus Christ, he came near to God, he washed his hands, he repented, And he mourned and he wailed and he grieved over the state of his heart before salvation. And as a humble man, he certainly was exalted. James appears to be the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. Uh, His reputation uh, in church history was that he was known as, as camel knees because he was on his knees in prayer so much. So that's what James is telling us in chapter 4. And if you don't really understand the context in that, it can get confusing. So I hope that helps, Brian. Thank you very, very much. James is is not a fun book to teach, but it's really uh, an instructive book to teach. But you have to be really careful. James, uh, I like James because he's really direct. No beating around the bush with James. Uh, no false hope with James. He just lays it on you and expects you to take it like a, like a man or a woman of God. Okay, we've got just a couple minutes left. Oh, one minute left. Brian says, another Brian. Thomas doubted Jesus, we know that, but did he still go to heaven when he died? Brian, I'm going to come back to this one tomorrow, but yes, Thomas went to heaven uh, when he died. Uh, we know that Thomas brought the gospel to uh, the, the, uh, to India in, in particular. That was his primary missionary field. And he had a very fruitful ministry. But I'd like to deal with this a little bit tomorrow uh, because I think he has a really bad rap when we call him Doubting Thomas. So I'll come back to it tomorrow. Hey, thanks for the calls and the questions today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember tonight at 7 o'clock, our men's and women's Bible studies. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 
And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.